Did You Read? with Tim Montgomery. Welcome to the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast, Did You Read? My name is Tim Montgomery, and this week I'm joined by our political editor, Francis Elliott, columnist Matthew Paris, and defence editor, Deborah Haynes. David Cameron in Portugal, Ed Miliband in France, Nick Clegg in Spain. Which of them will most be enjoying their break? Mr Cameron is famously good at chillaxing, but with the polls not so far following the economic growth figures, he arguably has more to worry about than Mr Miliband. It's Mr Clegg, however, who most needs a break. We need to prepare for a new onslaught by the neocons, who will now be resetting their advice on Libya and saying that we should intervene. In the past, they said that it would all be done from the air, boots on the ground, the Libyans would sort themselves out. They plainly haven't sorted themselves out. Will the neocons go silent? No. They'll say we need more intervention rather than less. We need to inoculate ourselves against their ever-abundant enthusiasm. It didn't work last time and it won't work next time. The lights went out across Britain this week as the country remembered the war that was meant to end all wars. In a particularly moving tribute, some 888,246 ceramic poppies are being planted in the grounds of the Tower of London to remember all the British and Commonwealth soldiers, sailors and airmen who gave their lives. A hundred years on, the British military is trying to learn the lessons of World War I and how they can apply to today's problems. Well, those are our um, three topics. I think they might merge into each other a, a little bit. But uh, Francis, Elliot, let's start with your topic. And it's a kind of a political sit rep as all the <laughs> political leaders <laughs> head off of the beach. And you're, you, in your introductory remarks, you think Nick Clegg is in most trouble? I think Nick Clegg, as I say, most needs a slice of luck. He's furiously pulling levers and and nothing is happening. In fact, the Lib Dem poll rating is, is now kind of plateauing at eight, where it was at nine, so it's, it's mm. actually going backwards. Uh, he's some some a, polls have as low as six in, Indeed, in yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, six to eight is probably where they're at. And they just strike me as... Complacent's the wrong word, but they... I was struck last conference why they didn't, you know, why there wasn't more panic in the ranks. I think this conference coming up is going to be very difficult, could be very difficult for Nick mm. Clegg if nothing... Now, he has... He's, and he's also changed tack. I mean, from being the party of in uh, and debating Nigel Farage and the, the benefits of Europe, we've had a, we've had a, a, a blistering attack on, you know, the, the too much EU migration from supporting the spare room subsidy or bedroom tax we've had a, a vault farce on that there will be others i think they're, they're going to do you think that's credible because a lot of people say well he's been part of this government <laughs> for four years and then a few months before an election he starts dissing well, himself from coalition exactly, policies exactly so i mean you know the one the one um they're in danger in reaching to to try and break out of the of the box that they're in uh, they're in danger of contaminating the one positive that they do have which is you know consistency we took the t tough decisions you know mm. we we can be trusted in government if they now start flip-flopping all over the place you know that's going to be a problem for nick Clegg. okay Math matthew paris you've been quite sympathetic to the liberal democrats holding this uh, government together in the in the national interest do you think other people other than your good self are going to give him credit and his party credit for, for, for what they've done. Well, a lot of Conservatives give him credit and those people who still say that they're Liberal Democrats probably give him credit and I don't see why 
he doesn't, as Francis suggest, suggests, go for a, a in for a penny, in for a pound attitude. He was with the coalition from the start. He's been part of the venture. There's no point now in trying to attack it to win back a few disaffected. But, it, but he has to differentiate himself, though, from the Conservatives, because if he just looks like his own lock, stock and barrel by the Conservatives, agrees with everything the coalition mm. has done, he won't recover in the uh, in the north, in Scotland, in, in the urban strong... Well, I don't know whether they have any urban strongholds left anymore, <laughs> but where they used to do well in the cities. It's, it's almost impossible. He has to own the coalition's successes and say we would have been different. It's very hard. Well, I would have liked an electoral pact. I think it's a, a tragedy for both sides that they haven't been able to form one. But yes, differentiation is fine. Aggression, I think, won't work. Hmm. And, and, and as for um, Ed Miliband, David Cameron, uh, Francis yes. Elliott, we've got this breaking news as we've been sitting down to record the podcast that Saeed Avasi has hmm. resigned over the Gaza dispute. Hmm. Uh, we don't know how this is going to run, how outspoken she's going to be. My instinct is that she might not just speak about Gaza, she might criticise David Cameron's style of leadership, which um, behind the scenes she has she, been, uh, uh, well, been Well, sometimes doing. in front of the scenes as yes. well, famously. I mean, I'm um, how, eaten mess is a headline. How much? Because Ed Miliband has criticised um, David Cameron for not being more critical of Israel. Hmm. Is this issue about to become quite big in British politics? Uh, well, you remember in 2006 when Tony Blair fa failed to criticise the uh, Israeli action in Lebanon, it became one of those kind of summer sort of running sores that mm. led ultimately to the kind of Tom Watson putch against him. I mean, it, it created one of the conditions. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that um, that's the Conservative Party, this is the, you know, that was the Labour Party, this is the Conservative Party, the different parties, different dynamics. But, you know, last week when we were ringing around Tory MPs, it wasn't difficult to find people saying, oh, we're in the wrong place about this. I mean, the demographics um, are plain there are two and a half million British Muslims, there are 300,000 British Jews. I should imagine the British Jews are mostly piled up in mostly conservative areas mm -hmm. and the British Muslims are mostly piled up in labour areas. So, you know, one can overstate the case. But uh, the motivational factor for David Cameron being seen day after day not echoing condemnations by Ban Ki-moon and others, so mm -hmm. you know, nothing particularly out there, will deliver to Labour a huge fillip in a, in, in a get-out-the-vote operation in key seats. Bolton, I'm thinking. Um, Deborah Haynes, there was a, a YouGov um, opinion poll last week, I think, that talked about 65% of the British people thought that Israel was guilty of war crimes, and I think just 10-15% sympathetic to Israel. This does seem to be, whatever the rights and wrongs of the issue, um, the votes are all to be on the side of criticising Israel. And any politician who gets themselves on the wrong side of public opinion is in, in difficulty. Or do the public really care about this issue? Will it actually be an issue that leads many to change their vote in the polling booth? I don't know if it will make people change their vote. But I think Israel is playing a really difficult... Is, is in a really difficult position because no matter how much they protest that schools and, um, you know, humanitarian shelters, uh, which they're targeting, um, are being targeted because they're being used by Hamas to hide weapons and to launch attacks against Israel. 
the pictures that, you're, that are playing out on the televisions are, are hugely emotive. They're and, gruesome, and the, yeah. They're gruesome. And also the numbers, you know, I had an, an interesting discussion with um, um, someone in the military who was trying to justify what Israel was doing by that argument of how, you know, it's, it, 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 the story is not being told correctly. If you actually stayed around, you'd see that the schools are being used to launch launch attacks. Mm. And he, Something and, that Melanie Phillips argued in her column in monday's times which if you are a time subscriber by the way and listening to this podcast go to the times.co.uk slash comment central and that article and others will be will be there but i interrupted you with a commercial break that's, that's fine but he, but he made the interesting argument of what if you had um, an extremist group in calais launching attacks on the uk hmm. you know, the british government would do anything to crush them but then I could argue, you know, the, the counter argument to that was we had a situation um, during the troubles in Northern Ireland when we were being attacked by a, you know, a terrorist organisation. But would the British public stomach the extent of the, um, the, the number of children being killed are being killed by Israel? And it's also all about proportionality. And I, I fear that the proportionality argument at the moment is massively being lost. Yes. Matthew you're, Paris. You're entering the argument Deborah, I don't think most of the British electorate will in the end much want to enter the argument. It hasn't got an awful lot to do with us and there isn't much we can do one way or the other. But I do think the resignation of Baroness Varsi goes to something that will affect voting intentions and, and that is the character of David Cameron. He must understand that you cannot forever, that there's a limit to how far you can waft around mouthing platitudes. In the end, where there's a fence, you do have to sometimes come down on one side or the other mm. of it. And the, the sight of him sitting awkwardly mm. on this fence is not, is not, a, not a gratifying no, spectacle. No, I, I agree with that. Francis Elliott. Absolutely, Matthew. I mean, somebody fairly close to him once said that... Um, uh, and I shall edit out the, um, the, 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 the swear words, but... Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> The definition was an overrated character. Tony Blair wasn't defined until Iraq, and after that, he was snookered. Um, and I, th I think you're, I mean, I think David Cameron has a sort of has a, has a horror of being defined in that way, which is which is odd because I mean, he has said quite strong stuff on Gaza in the past. He's become more. You know, definition aversive as his the premiership's gone on. Because I remember what, that time you were talking about Tony Blair earlier. William Hague, very yes. controversially, described the last action in Gaza as disproportionate, uh, yeah. and it, it caused fury yeah, amongst lots on the right. And, and Cameron uh, said the same thing. And maybe, maybe they remember that Ca experience, and that's why they're. Ga Ca David Cameron it. has called Gaza a prison camp. Yeah. Let's not forget, in July yeah. 2010, in his first foreign policy mm. um, adventure, um, he went. What's to happened to him then? Why, why, why has he? I think moved he's just. So I think he has. He has somehow kind of learnt a statecraft lesson that you limit your room for manoeuvre if you make, you know, definitive statements, but lost a deeper point that, that Matthew is touching on. On you, you kind of, you, if you lose a, you get to a point where you just lose a reputation for authenticity. And you, well, you, also, I kind of feel that it's it's such a complicated problem, and politicians only have a superficial understanding on it, and so they don't have the confidence to speak with conviction because they don't really understand. Do you, for, for someone who's not so obsessed with politics as me, Francis and Matthew and Deborah, or maybe you are, um, in terms of this issue, because uh, I would agree with what Matthew said, David Cameron always looks like he's, he's sat on the on the fence. But a lot of people out there, perhaps as voters, just see this guy who's imposing very significant austerity. 
they may see him as not a sort of fence sitter, but someone who's quite a decisive person. Where where do you think his problem lies in that tough guy, um, chaser of uh, the wind uh, division? Well, in, in terms of Israel, or in terms no, just of generally general. his personality. Okay, as a person who's um, you know not living and breathing politics, I suppose. Um, I think I think I, I would rather he was... I, I, don't, I can't stand the fact that he doesn't ever seem to speak with conviction on, on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does seem to be much more about... much more concerned about the headlines that he will get from yeah. whatever policy he's talking about than actually doing something that he really believes in. I don't know if that's right, but that's just the impression that's that I get. That's the impression. OK, well, that's um, uh, a good moment i think to move on from politics and move on to an area where which you've nominated for us matthew paris which is the deteriorating situation in in libya you wrote about this in your last saturday column and again we'll link to that on the uh, comment central blog and david cameron again on this issue seems to be half for intervention but it's always quite limited intervention it's intervention from without deploying troops no. without um, necessarily spending a huge amount of, of money. Is that no. right? No. No I, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think he he defined himself with Nicolas Sarkozy in, in being ahead of the game on intervention in, in Libya. But I it was a very limited intervention, that's well, my point. I, yeah, everybody said that was all that would be necessary to remove Gaddafi, and indeed it was. They were right. It wasn't necessary to put boots on the ground. It was the confidence that having removed Gaddafi into the vacuum would would step an Arab Spring liberal democratic government that was misplaced. I, I don't think David Cameron lacked either decisiveness or, or, or confidence on the initial intervention. I don't know where he stands now. I don't know where the French Do you think he regrets now. it? No, I doubt it. I don't suppose many people will remember. That he's he was not held to account for, for, for his actions in Libya in the same way. I mean, no one ever is, though, are they? Well, Blair was for Iraq. Obviously. Well, he wasn't. He kept winning elections. <laughs> well, only just in <laughs> 2005. Yeah. Deborah Haynes, my understanding is you don't quite agree with Matthew Paris on Libya. No, absolutely. I think that, well, I mean, regardless of what you think about whether or not intervention was correct, the fact is we did intervene. And so, therefore, what's happening in Libya now, we have to have a responsibility for it. And we can't just turn our backs on it. And I remember at the time when the intervention happened, um, I was in Tripoli and the people there, the the pro-Gaddafi people were warning at the time that this was going to unleash absolute carnage. Mm. And people again didn't really understand the conflict they didn't understand the tribal dynamic in Libya and so I don't agree that it was um, a limit it was limited intervention um, in the sense that we didn't have thousands of troops on the ground but we did have boots on the ground there were special forces in Libya on the ground we Mm. trained the Qataris and we trained uh, a number of the Emirate countries to have to bring their forces in and they shaped they this wouldn't have happened without boots of some sort foreign boots on the ground making it work the big problem was once it did happen because we were so burnt by our experiences in Iraq and in Afghanistan we had absolutely zero confidence um, to to remain and help shape the future we had a feeble group um, within I think it was DFID led that was supposed to be leading the the, the sort of post Gaddafi era which was never properly invested in Matthew and Paris is desperate <laughs> to come in how, how, how were we going to shape the future were we going to impose a government on them as we kind of did 
in Iraq. And, and if you think that the fact that we started all this in the first place means we now have to carry on, are we going to go back into Afghanistan and Iraq, which we've also messed well, up? we haven't left Afghanistan yet. We are leaving, thank goodness. We are leaving, but we're leaving people there. And we've said, and the head of the military, the head of the army has said, that if it goes um, wrong again, then there is flexibility to oh, send people no, back we in. Won't. Oh, no, we won't. Isn't this the problem, Deborah? You, you, you reported for the Times from Iraq. Isn't the truth that we just don't have the kind of commitment that, say, America had after the Second World War to stay in Germany for decades or in South Korea for decades? What happened was we broke Iraq. I don't think many people would uh, disagree with that. We tried for briefly to mend it with the surge, which did produce a big drop in violence. But then we did walk away. We, we just... Whether my disagreement, I think, with Matthew is I think intervention can work, but only if it's sustained. What we're just not willing to make the kind of commitment that's necessary to stabilize these countries. I think, yeah, I think um, the interventions that we've seen over the last decade and a half have been completely superficial. And if you're going to have an interventionist policy, and I'm not arguing for or against that per se, but if you're going to do it, you need to do it properly. And we've absolutely singularly failed to do that. And it's because of politics. It's because of because of moral cowardice it's because it was because of military commanders not being confident enough to speak what they speak their mind uh, and and to do what they think their political leaders want them to do i just i mean i wonder whether in 10 years time we might not look at afghanistan in a different way and think that that actually might have been a rather better intervention than it looks now are you do you are you optimistic at all about afghanistan if we the, the next Two years are absolutely critical. Mm. Um, I think if we are able to to keep the Afghan security forces funded, and its money is the key, then I think there is a chance that something good will come out of that intervention. But there is a massive risk that once, if, for example, there's a bilateral security agreement that needs to be signed between the Americans and the Afghans, um, if that is not signed, I have, I'm very, very pessimistic. Because that's the key issue in Iraq, wasn't it? There was no sort of con continuity of US presence when America left. There was no retained influence at all and, and there was an all too um it was all too it's all too quick is this a short-term solution to turn your back these countries are far away they're not they're not knocking at the door in dc for example but if you turn your back having intervened and having left that uh, having influenced the course of events uh, i think it's 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 very negligent and reckless to turn well, your back on i'm gonna have to give the last word on this subject to matthew paris not least because if i don't i think he's about to explode but um give us your last word on where we're where we're I'm going wrong with yeah. hilarity that's three that's three wars you've led us into three new wars deborah in the in the course of about <laughs> i've not seven led you minutes. into them back I'm into just, Af I'm afghanistan back into iraq now into libya what about gaza what about syria we haven't even talked about syria we, we can't afford well. to do syria these is the non-interventionist great success story matthew isn't it well, it would have been even worse if we were now trying to hold the ring in that? Syria. How do you know? You don't know that. If we'd actually done something um, like this time last year, we could be in a completely different situation. As it is, we've got ISIS, a terrorist group, now in control of swathes of territory, something that has never happened since Osama bin Laden's al-Qaeda. Uh, the world is a wholly more dangerous place now, and it could 
easily be argued that it's because of our moral cowardice and our lack of ability to actually act with uh, conviction and protect democratic I did, rights. That's I did the way promise the Matthew the last go. word on this Sorry. subject. That's We're going to have you back, Deborah. I like Sorry. your feisty style, but um, Matthew... Intervention hasn't worked, so we need more intervention. That's going to be the neocon argument. Pin back your ears and prepare for it. <laughs> well... Our third topic, Deborah, is back to, to, to you. And uh, you, you began your, with your introduction saying, 100 years ago, we were uh, beginning the war to end all wars. Well, as we've just been discussing, it didn't quite work out um, like that. But the quality and the, the moving nature of the uh, commemorations over the last 24, 48 hours, I, I think have been very good for not just britain but reconciliation across europe nations that were at war so much in the last century the, the relations between them seem to be better and better at the moment absolutely i think it really gives you um comfort um in human nature that people actually um, are able to put behind them such huge conflicts i mean the fact that you had the you know the whole of europe at war and now the the, the, the countries who were once mortal enemies are now remembering together and you know with the germans acknowledging you know the the, the their, their behavior in the past was abhorrent um, i think that is something that especially in today's world when we've got so much conflict um, is uh, is, a, is a huge lesson that people should be looking back to there's so much you can learn from looking back to this time a hundred years ago um, that can be applied to today probably unfair to ask you for one principal lesson deborah but you say there are lessons to be learned and in the context of what we've just been discussing what would you offer that war is a complete waste of time yeah, I, 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 if you look at look I at. I thought the, you just wanted us to invade, no, go back into invading. I'm, not, I'm talking about, else about intervention. Yeah. Um, once you actually go decide to take that step and go into war, then mm. do it properly. Yeah. But if you're on the brink of war, um, as we were, you know, just over a hundred years ago, look at what happened over the course of the subsequent four years. Complete futility, massive loss of life. And where are we? A hundred years later, we're all friends. I mean, it just you need to have much cooler heads. Diplomacy must be given a much stronger part and be properly, sensibly believed in. And um, and and just war is a, a waste of life. So we should always be talking to our enemies. Absolutely, you uh, have not, to. Not, you know, not least in the Middle East. Absolutely, today. absolutely. You'd be absolutely um, uh, uh, naive and um, reckless not to do that. Francis Elliot, the commemorations of seeing all of our politicians arm in arm almost united there's been no real controversy about the commemorations that that so reflects quite well on the establishment yes um although not in not entirely well on the media there was a minor controversy about ed Miliband failing to make a handwritten message uh, on the wreath until it was pointed out that neither nick clegg nor alex Hammond did but yes on the whole it went off with the right sobriety and the right lessons learned and there was a you know, there were some fears that this would lead to some sort of anti-German mm -hmm. outburst. None of that has happened. And we, it, it is rather extraordinary that we are entering a critical moment in British diplomatic history with Germany, our greatest hope and friend. Mm. Should there be more controversy? I'm saying that it's great that those politicians united on an occasion like this. Should we be debating more the... Then there are no survivors, living survivors now who fought in First World War. Should we be honouring them by having a proper debate about 
about the, the sort of lessons w- that Deborah was just pointing at. Perhaps I, 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 I do find the kind of organised remembrance thing industry a little strong. That's my only caveat. Is uh, I didn't mind the lights out over Europe thing. Um, I, I didn't feel the need to participate. I don't know if that makes me a bad person. Matthew Paris. I'm sure it's right that we're doing all this. I, I can't say I actually read any of this stuff. I've got a bit disengaged from it. We've had an awful lot of it. It was a very long time ago. No one remembers the Boer War. Um, we won the First World War in the end decisively. That, that probably helps. But I do find myself just paging through the supplements. You're not allowed to say that um, about the times of supplements. <laughs> All the supplements. I, I did notice that on my street there were loads of lights still on between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock last night. So I, I just wonder how, how much it's actually filtered through. Um, I do think it's quite, it, it's, it's, it's a really noble endeavour to make people remember. Um, but people are so busy in their day-to-day lives, you kind of feel as though maybe um, they're not that bothered. Mm, well, I went, I went to Salisbury Cathedral for a lights out service and I found it very... Uh, moving and it was a, a wonderful mixture of prayer and readings but actually it wasn't there weren't that many people there and there was the stash of orders of service and I think perhaps even the cathedral is expecting more people so perhaps like Matthew they're not reading supplements they're not turning their lights out they're not coming to the cathedral not learning the lessons i think that's a really important thing and it's, well, it's what are the lessons that, law, that war is awful that just people die i mean people don't really people don't really understand it well think, i've learned the lessons that's why i'm not wanting to intervene and but we have intervened well look uh, matthew uh, deborah francis thank you very much and thank you to uh, dave mcguire uh, my producer and that is all from the times opinion podcast until september we'll be back for the party conference season when we'll learn quite how much the Saeed Avasi resignation and nick clegg's fight back and ed Miliband's uh, relaunch of labor have actually made any difference to politics but most of all thank you to you for listening over the last few months hope you'll have a good summer and we'll see you in September.